Appreciate Brother Jason. He's uh, he's been faithful here as well, and I'm grateful for that. He's loved on our family, loved on our church, and so we're we're grateful for the investment that your church has in us um, already. Just in having us come is a tremendous blessing. I would ask you to, uh, you know, at times when I'm preaching about reaching the city of Boulder, you know, I'll mention a lot about prayer and just to emphasize. It's going to take a miracle of God for a church to get off the ground there. And we've seen churches move out. We've seen churches merge. We've seen churches compromise. We've seen them shut down altogether. And so it's just a strange question why when churches are leaving, why God is sending. You know, and there's times when we battle that in our minds. But I believe God has an answer for us in his word this morning. And so I'm not going to be preaching much Uh, specifically about prayer, but I do want to mention we need your prayers. And that city desperately needs your prayers. That entire Boulder Valley, um, Brother Brian Ricker is in Lafayette, and outside of him to reach Superior, Boulder, Louisville, and Lafayette, that's the only solid independent fundamental Baptist church preaching the gospel for about 150, 160,000 people there. And so the need is beyond what I could even communicate, so we would ask for your prayers. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. So you want to turn your Bibles there, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I don't know if this is your practice here, but if you would stand in honor of God's Word, if you're physically able to do that, we just want to give reverence and respect and start our place off in the right place, and that is acknowledging that God's Word is exactly what we need. And that it is a holy word. Second Chronicles. I did say Chronicles, right? I didn't say Corinthians. Okay. Second Chronicles chapter 36. And at first you're going to be like, okay, we have a missionary, church planter, whatever you would call us. In my mind, I'm still a youth pastor in certain ways. And so I've got that going on too. But you're going to look at this passage and you're going to be like, okay. <laughs> what does this have to do with going to Boulder? But I believe you'll see it very quickly as we read. We'll begin our reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 36 in verse number 11. The Bible says, Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign, and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God, but he stiffened his neck. You ever seen a kid do that? You know, you tell him to do something. (laughs) You know, and so uh, that, that happens. Well, that's what Zedekiah does. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the chief of the priests... And the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. The ensuing verses discuss 
God's judgment upon the nation of Israel, specifically here the nation of Judah, and how the Chaldeans came, carried them away captive, broke down the house of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, and left the city utterly desolate as a result of their continual sin. The message that God has for us this morning is this, preaching among hardened people. And I believe you can see for just from the title where we're going here is we can talk about the city of Boulder, as we talk about the community of Broomfield and the entire Denver metro areas that has just become increasingly more liberal, increasingly more anti-Christian. And so we are laboring right here in Broomfield. And when we get to Boulder, we're laboring among hardened people. And the question that often comes to our minds is, why? Why would God send us there? And so we're going to consider that this morning. Let's pray and then you can be seated. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look to your word this morning. And I'm just asking for your help one more time to communicate the truth with clarity. I pray that it be a help, an encouragement, and a blessing to this dear church doing their very best to reach this community that you love and that you have compassion on. And so I pray that you would help us to understand the word, help us to apply it where it is needed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You probably know somebody with a short fuse, as we might put it. Uh, somebody that is, it doesn't take much to get them riled up, doesn't take much to get them fired up. You know, we've got some wives in here that are thinking of their husbands right now, and maybe some husbands that are thinking of their wives right now. Some kids are thinking of a particular parent. Some parents are thinking of a particular kid in your family. And so you're thinking of these people that maybe have short fuses. You can probably think of a coworker. That if you say something at just the right time in the right place, it's just gonna it's gonna rile them up, you know. Uh, you might know somebody who functions as a lighter for a person with a short fuse. We might call them a button pusher. Occasionally, they know just the right bus- buttons to push to to tip somebody's anger off, and so we know people like that. Siblings are normally good button pushers, right? Typically, when a person with a short fuse goes off. You know what I mean there? It's not a pretty sight. Uh, just this past week, there was a college basketball game between the Kansas Jayhawks and the Kansas State Wildcats. And I just caught the very end of this game and and uh, there was a pretty much a blowout. And a Kansas State player steals the ball from a Jayhawk that's just trying to run the timeout. And he goes down to try to score a bucket. Well, a Jayhawk didn't like that. And they chase him down and they block it. And then he stands over him and, you know, taunts him and, and is in his face. Well, that, that sparked off a whole bunch of short fuses and a brawl ensued. And I even saw a guy pick up a folding chair and go all WWE on people. And so it was, it was a, a basketball court full of short fused people. And it was a pretty ugly sight. But can I say, I'm so thankful that we do not serve a short fused God. Our God is long-suffering with us. It's truly an amazing thing to consider just how patient God is towards sinners. Because of His holy and righteous character, God does not have to tolerate a single one of us in our sin, and yet He's merciful to us. Because of our sin, we are altogether worthy of eternal eternity in hell, But praise be to God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross 
to be our substitute, to take our punishment so that we could have eternal life. He could have cast us off, yet he's been loving. He's been patient. He's been gracious with some of us giving the gospel to us over and over and over again, not just casting us to the side. But you know, God has a history, a history of being long-suffering with people who obstinately reject him. And I can't think of a better example of God's long-suffering toward rejecting people than his delayed judgment on the people of Israel. They had a history. We read in our text about how in spite of their hard-hearted resistance to repent at the mouth of the prophets, God repeatedly sent those prophets to them over and over and over again, bearing the message of repentance, communicating to them, I want you to turn back to me. I want you to turn away from the idols that you've been serving and give glory back to me, and I will spare you. He gave them that opportunity only for them to reject it again. And for 300 years, over 300 years, God continued to send prophets until the very day that he sent the Chaldeans in to conquer the land. 300 years of long-suffering begs this question, why? Why would God be so gracious and so patient to such a hardened people? But this is really a question that transcends into the 21st century today. There are countries, there are cities, there are people all over the world who have obstinately rejected God's offer of salvation and deliverance. You think about places mentioned like China. We have some missionaries with the Greg and Miss Judy Feinauer that are going to China to reach specifically the North Korean people there. And North Korea is a place that has for a long time rejected God, rejected salvation. There are countries that have recently passed non-conversion laws like Nepal and Russia where it's illegal to proselytize there. But right here in our own country, there are specific cities and specific uh, people, groups here, that have obstinately rejected God's offer of repentance. And among them is the people of Bolton. There have been solid churches there. But those churches have had to move because they couldn't get off the ground. Some churches had to move locations to a different city because the county fought so hard against them. And basically, as they were trying to remodel their building, they, they skyrocketed the cost by making them bring the building up to code. And it forced them to leave the area. It's a place that professes to be accepting of all lifestyles, but when it comes to religion for decades, they've wanted nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christianity. Many view Jesus as a character to be hated, despised, and trampled on when we know the reality is that he loved them so much he gave his life for them. It can seem like right here in your own community that it's getting more and more difficult with every passing year to witness to people, to give them the gospel. You can probably think of some loved ones that you have, some relatives, some friends, some co-workers that more than anything, you want them to receive the gospel. You want them to know that they can be saved. They can be forgiven. They can have eternal life in heaven. But it seems like every time you give them the gospel, they just reject it. And that with every time of rejection, they just seem to get harder and harder and harder. But in spite of the hardness of heart and the stubborn 
rejection of God's offer of salvation, you know what God continues to do? He continues to send missionaries into places like China. He continues to send missionaries into the Middle East. He continues to call families to go and plant churches in cities like Boulder and Baltimore, New York City, and places that have just been Satan's stronghold for decades and decades. Why is that? Why is God so long-suffering with such hardened people? And why does God repeatedly send this message to those who have obstinately rejected it? And why should, should our family uh, leave a fruitful ministry in the city of Longmont, laboring among teenagers? Why would God send us from there to a place like Boulder nearby? Why would God want to raise up somebody out of this church and send them overseas to a hardened people? I believe God's word has the answer for us today. The people of Israel had developed a habit of rejecting God's offer of repentance. For centuries, the nation of Israel as a whole, whether we're speaking about the southern tribes of Judah or we're talking about the northern tribes of Israel, they had continuously rejected God's law, broken His covenant, and gave themselves over to idolatry. You'll remember when God gave the nation of Israel His Old Testament law, that He explained to them what the consequences would be should they turn from Him and serve the idols of the land. And among them was that it included judgment against the fruit of the land, It included uh, judgment that they would be ruled by their neighboring enemies. It also included being carried away captive out of the promised land. And so there were clearly defined harsh consequences should they turn from God and serve idols. And yet of the combined 43 kings over the nation of Israel and Judah, 29 of them had a reign that was characterized by evil and idolatry. While they had turned from the Lord and from His Word, we find, though, throughout the Old Testament Scriptures that God was gracious toward them, God was long-suffering toward them, and He sent them prophets like Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, and He sent Daniel, and He sent all these prophets to His people to give them the message of repentance. Here is what the, the judgment is coming, but if you will repent, if you will turn back to me, then I will turn the judgment away from you. And yet all they did was reject it. King after king, time after time, generation after generation. And the last reigning king of Judah at this time, Zedekiah, was no different than any other generation, than any other king. Look at verse 11. The Bible says Zedekiah was one and 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And so Zedekiah had continued to lead the nation of Israel into evil and into idolatry, and he gave himself over to it. And yet God sent Jeremiah the prophet again to try to correct him. Now by the time we come to this last king here of Judah, that God's judgment had already been pronounced. It was coming. Babylon was on their way. And so they couldn't have the judgment turned away. But at this point, God had told Zedekiah that if he will trust in the Lord, if he will serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and not rebel against him and not turn to Egypt for help, but if he would simply accept the punishment, God would lighten the load and God uh, would be gracious to them and would spare their lives. In fact, Zedekiah even had sworn an oath 
by the name of his God to Nebuchadnezzar. And yet in verse number 13, it says, and he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Notice that Zedekiah's obstinance was not as much toward Nebuchadnezzar as it was to God. It says there that, that he hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. He still refused. He still rejected in spite of God's offer here. And so, notice though that it wasn't just Zedekiah in verse 14. It says, moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And so it wasn't just Zedekiah, it was also all the chief priests, the spiritual leaders, the pastors of their day had turned to idolatry. They had followed the abominations of the heathen, and of course, the people followed their leaders into that sin. And so you can tell that rejecting God's message of repentance and restoration had really become a habit in their lives. One man said this, habits are readily strengthened. Every step that is taken is planted with firmer grip. Every time an action is repeated, the easier it becomes and the more deeply rooted in the soul. And so what you find is, as this developed into a habit for the nation of Israel, they only grew harder and harder and harder the closer they got to the judgment day. King after king, generation after generation, refused to humble themselves before God, and they repeatedly and stubbornly refused God's offer of repentance. But this isn't something that ended with Israel. Right now, you can probably think of someone in your mind to whom you have given the gospel, the message of repentance over and over again, whether we are talking about a family member or a co-worker or a longtime friend, and you've tried to labor to be faithful to give them the gospel, but every time they reject the truth, they too seem to get harder and harder and harder to where you can even begin to think, should I even give them the gospel again? Should I even tell them about Jesus again? Should I even, am I just wasting my time or should I just let this go? We can think the same way about certain parts of our country. Places like Boulder, places like D.C., places like uh, the West Coast with uh, Oregon and Washington and, and, and California, these places that are just becoming increasingly more liberal by the year. Places like Utah where Mormonism is such a stronghold there. And when you think, is it even worth it sending people to those places? Is it even worth it going to the city of Boulder? Is it worth it going to New York City and Long Island, New York, and, and all these different places that we see we see that they've just continuously rejected God, rejected his work. Should we even take the gospel to them? Why is it so hard to start churches there? Why do we question that in our minds? Well, it's simply this, because we're trying to take the truth of the gospel to people who are already hardened. Why would we endeavor to do that? I mean, I, I, I've, had some comments in here. I'm glad you're going because I don't want to go. I've had some pastors tell me that. Well, I'm glad that you're going because it means I don't have to go to a place like Boulder. And so you'll get, you'll have conversations like that. But why plant a church in Boulder? Why try to plant a church and give the gospel to hardened people? I mean, shouldn't we just write them off? They've rejected God already. They had their chance. 
Isn't that how we should think? Well, what does God do with Israel? Does he, does he write them off? Does he cast them to the side and, and simply forget about them or deem them unreachable? Well, what did God do? Look at verse 15. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending. You know what that means? That word betimes, anybody use that phrase lately? No? Okay, I, I, when's the last time a parent went to their kids and said, I told you betimes to clean your room. No, but you might say this. I've told you over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to clean your room, right? That's what this word be times means. So the word of God says that in spite of their rejection, in spite of their obstinate spirit, the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers rising up be times. God continued to send the, the preachers, the prophets to them. He sent to them over and over again. Understand this truth. As bent as they were on rejecting God's offer, God was equally as bent on extending the offer. And he's still the same way today. That, that when we consider these places that have clamped down and they, they said, we don't want God. We don't want his involvement. We don't want him in our streets. We don't want the cross on these houses. And we don't want any of these things in public. As we consider those things, we've got to realize this, that just as they are bent against the truth, God is equally bent on giving them the truth. He wants to continue to give them the gospel. Well, why in the world would God be so patient? Why would he be so long-suffering toward obstinate people? Continue reading in verse 15. Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. The word compassion communicates the idea that God had pity on them because he knew what was coming. He knew the Chaldeans were already on their way to Jerusalem. He already knew the judgment. He already knew the brutality. He already knew the desolation of the land. He knew the judgment that was coming. And he wasn't willing for them to go headlong into that judgment without giving them one more chance, one more opportunity. And so he continued to send messengers. Well, how long could this possibly go on? How long could such a holy and a righteous God be so gracious, be so merciful towards such sinful people for this extended period of a time? When would God cease to be compassionate towards such sinners? Look at verse 16. Here's what they did. They mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, till there was no remedy. In spite of the fact that God was long-suffering and gracious toward them, they continued to reject him, and they abused his prophets. They sawed some of them in half. They cast them into dungeons. They chained them up. They murdered most of them. But God continued to send his messengers until the day that his wrath was filled and there was no remedy. That remedy means there was, there was no healing what was messed up. There was no mending this relationship that was torn. There was no fixing what was broken. God's wrath was full and his holy judgment must fall. And so the Chaldeans come, they take them away, break down the walls of Jerusalem, they burn down the house of the Lord. They desecrate the vessels that were in the house of the Lord. 
They handled the people of Israel with brutality and left their land utterly desolate. It didn't have to be this way. God had sent to them repeatedly, over and over again, offering repentance, offering restoration, offering healing. He offered them what they needed. He gladly would have spared them, but instead they despised his message. They mistreated his messengers. They were a stubborn, obstinate, and hard-hearted people. Yet God graciously afforded them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. Why? Why would God be so gracious towards such hardened people? And why did God continue to send prophets to the people of Israel? I'll tell you why. The Lord repeatedly sent his messengers to harden Israel because his compassion extends until his judgment begins. And so we would ask this question, why would we continue to plant churches among hardened people? Why continue to labor here in the community of Broomfield? Why go to plant a church in Boulder? Why send missionaries to China? Why send missionaries to Iraq and Iran? Why would we go to places that are such hardened? I'll tell you, it's for the very same reason that God continued to send prophets to the people of Israel. And that is because God's mercy, his compassion extends until the day that his judgment begins. There is a day of judgment coming. Once the church is raptured out of here, the tribulation period will begin, which will uh, usher in unparalleled violence, unparalleled disaster, to where in seven years, uh, two-thirds of the earth's population, or over four and a half billion people, will perish during that time. But beyond the tribulation period lies the eternal state, when all those who are still lost are facing the eternal destiny of hell. We're in a desperate situation today because the truth is, is that the vast majority of our world is still lost. They're still without God. Many of them are still hardened toward the gospel. But if they don't repent, they will perish. But I'm, I'm thankful that the word of God says that he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so God's compassion, his love, his grace, his pity, it still goes out to the lost, no matter how many times they've rejected, no matter how many times they have refused, because he knows their impending doom. And so that's why he is still sending forth laborers today, both to foreign fields and right here in the United States of America. That's why he still wants you to give the gospel to your parents and your brothers and your sisters and, and, and your nieces and nephews and your grandkids. He still wants you to communicate the message of the gospel. He still wants you to give the gospel to your friends and your coworkers. He still wants you as Broomfield Baptist Church to be out in this community, knocking doors, telling people that yes, they are lost. Yes, they are headed for hell, but they have a God who loves them and so much so that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for their sin on the cross so that they can be redeemed, so that they can be forgiven. God is freely offering today repentance and restoration for man. And that's why he's sending us to do it. He's called us to go and plant a church among the hardened people of Boulder. Why in the world would God do that? Because he has compassion on them. As Christians, listen to this, as Christians, we have been called to be God's instruments of compassion to hardened people. Every one of you have been called to be an instrument of God's compassion. Whether it is to your family or if it's to a stranger on the street, God wants to extend his compassion to that person he wants to use you to do. He wants to use you as his instrument. 
What this means is that we cannot win those who are lost if we harbor hatred for their rejection of God. We cannot win the homosexual or the transgender if we harbor hatred for them. But yet as you read throughout scriptures and you read about the church in Rome and you read about the church in Antioch and you read about the church in Corinth, that sodomites and transgender people were getting saved there and their lives were being changed and they were being restored to the image of God as he created them to be. And that happened because the gospel went to them. And God still wants to do the same thing today. Now, I'm not saying we have to approve of uh, other religions. I'm not saying we have to approve of alternative lifestyles. I'm simply saying this. If we're going to win sinners to Christ who are simply doing what sinners do, sometimes we're going to have to set aside our political leniencies in order to love people and extend God's compassion toward them, even if it's just for one more time. I'm thankful God's being compassionate toward me and my family. I, I was just as lost as anybody else. I grew up in a pastor's home, but at the age of seven, my mom called me out and said, you're sure not acting like a Christian. And I said, I'm not a Christian and I don't care. As a seven-year-old boy, I'm telling you, I was lost. But I praise God that growing up in a pastor's home, I didn't just hear the gospel once and God wrote me off. Praise God that he didn't write me off, but he chose to give me the gospel over and over again. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, youth rallies, all these things that I went to as a pastor's kid. God gave me the gospel over and over and over again. And finally, when I was eight years old, I accepted Christ as my Savior and yielded to God's working in my heart. And I trusted Jesus to be my Savior. But what if God wrote me off after one time? What if God wrote you off after one time? We'd all be hopeless. We'd all be helpless. But praise God for his compassion. I'm thankful that he sent Jesus to men who rejected him and that he went to the cross and he suffered to pay the penalty for our sin. God has been and is continuing this day to be compassionate toward hardened sinners. And there might even be somebody in here this morning that you've heard the gospel, but you've not embraced it. You've not accepted it. God's given you the offer of repentance, but you haven't received it. And maybe even you've rejected it. And maybe you've even despised it. And yet here God is again extending his offer, saying you can come to me today and you can trust Christ as your Savior. And he will save you. He will offer that repentance and salvation. The question is this, will you continue to despise his compassion or will you embrace it? God was long-suffering toward Israel and he sent his instruments of compassion to give them opportunity after opportunity to repent and God's simply doing the same thing today. He's sending our family to be his instruments of compassion to the hardened people of old. And we ask for your prayers. Pray for them. Pray that God would soften their hearts. Pray that they would come to see the truth. See, the reality is this, is that for generation after generation after generation, the people of Boulder have rejected God's offering to the point now where a generation has come up that knows nothing about God. Nothing about Jesus. They know nothing about the cross. 
They know nothing about his love, nothing about his generosity, nothing about his healing ministry. All that they know of Jesus Christ is that he's a figure to be hated and despised. But if you ask them why, they have no idea why. Right now, while we're raising support here in Colorado, I'm working in Boulder. I've I've had a job there for the last year and a half, and it's afforded opportunity to talk to people. And that's what I'm finding to be true. If people talk about how they hate Christianity, people talk about how they hate the church, people talk about how they hate Jesus, but all you have to do is ask them the question, why? And they have no answer for you. Here's why. They've been brought up that way. They need somebody to go. Tell them, in spite of your beliefs, God has compassion on you. And he wants to save you. They need our prayers. This church is in this community today because God wants to use this church as his instruments of compassion to the city of Bruton. And the cities that surround you of Westminster and Thornton and North Glen and Arvada, all these cities that surround you, God wants to use you individually. God wants to use this church to show his compassion. And so I would challenge you, church, let's not drop our responsibility to faithfully communicate the gospel of God's compassion. Let's be like those prophets. Let's just simply go where God sends and leave the results up to him. Let him move. Be a witness everywhere you go. Get involved in your church's outreach endeavors. Continue to give the mission so your church can be involved in sending people to hardened places. Our God is a God of great compassion. So let's be diligent to show his compassion to all men. Why? Because God's compassion extends until his judgment begins. So by the grace of God, until the day that Christ returns, until the day that the tribulation period begins, the church is raptured out of here, our goal is to be in the city of Boulder telling people about God's compassion until the day that judgment begins. And we'll be excited to see what God does. That day of judgment is coming, but until then, let's be instruments of God's compassion.